0: So it's a good reminder, and it's one that we can relate to, and it's a good illustration of the text for today from Exodus chapter 3, and uh, it encompasses about 16 verses, and as we've seen it portrayed for us today, let's keep this in our mind, and it's an amazing thing that... I don't know if Moses knew God before this time. He knew about God. But I don't know if he knew him or not. The important thing, though, is that God knew Moses. And God knows each one of us as well. Oftentimes, it happens in the least expected time and the least expected places God begins to deal with us. And it's an amazing thing. Uh, sometimes if we're not where we're supposed to be, with who we're not supposed to be with, doing things we're not supposed to be doing, God begins to speak to us. And I don't know about you, sometimes I look around and say, Lord, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he says, well, I could ask you the same question. So that's what got Moses into trouble. And he spent, as a result of that, 40 years in what uh, King James says, the backside of the desert. Now, a desert's a pretty desolate place. It's not a nice place to be. The backside of a desert must be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't just passing through, was he? 40 years. Those were the best years of his life from a human viewpoint, weren't they? wasted. But in the economy of God what we discover is nothing is wasted. Even the things that have been designed to destroy us God in his mercy and grace finds some way to use for our benefit. And more than that to redeem us and then to use us as the the vehicle of redemption for others. That's an awesome thing. God working not only in us, but then God working through us. So, as you read through, hopefully you'll read it again. As God began to speak to Moses out of the burning bush, calling him by name, Moses responding, God beginning to reveal to Moses who God is. And he said three quick things. He said, I have seen, I have heard, and I have come. So he said, I've, I've heard of the misery. I've come. I've seen it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm sending you. Now Moses was with God through the first part. God has heard us. That's good news. God has heard your prayers. That's what we want. That's the whole reason that we pray, isn't it? is because we're wanting God to hear us. And prayer is a communication. There's a, um, a time to speak and there's a time to listen if you're communicating. So God has heard and God has seen. He knows where we are. He knows our needs. And even greater than that, He knows the deepest longings of our heart. He knows where we are. And then he says to us, what for some people is rather intimidating, I have come. So oftentimes we feel like we're alone, but we aren't. And it doesn't make any difference whether we are aware of his presence or not. He is with us. We put so much focus on what we feel from our body and our senses today that we miss 95% of what's going on around us. 95% of what's going on around us. Because we're so self-centered here on what I feel and what I want. And Moses had been that way. It took God 40 years to get him in a place where he's going to listen. On the backside of the desert. So the question this morning for each of one of us, one of them, is... What will it take for me to be ready to come out of myself and hear what God has to say to me? God's a patient God. He will wait 40 years. He's a patient God and a merciful God, and He will put us on the backside of the desert and leave us there because He loves us. So God began to speak to Moses. And he says, um, I've heard the cries, I've come down, I've seen the suffering, and so I'm going to do something about it. Now you go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses was 80 years old. He's an old man. He's 80 years old. Pharaoh is the, the king, the ruler, absolute monarch of a huge, vast empire. One of the greatest, Pharaoh was one of the most powerful men in the world at that time. Absolute monarch, he could do whatever he wanted whenever he felt like it and he could make other people do what he wanted them to do anytime he wanted them to. And if they didn't, he would just execute them and get somebody who would. It was no problem for him. And he's got all this vast resources, military machine, armies, all this kind of stuff. Very highly sophisticated culture. High level of civilization. Moses is a nobody on the backside of the desert. Been there 40 years, out of mind, out of sight, forgotten by everybody. Except not by God. And God says to this 80-year-old man, "I want you to go, lead these slaves out of slavery, out of bondage, and deliver them from one of the most powerful nations on the earth." So go. <laughs> they would have put him in a hospital with a little white coats. So, Moses asks what he thinks is a very good question. And from our way of thinking, it's a very real question. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He still had a price on his head. He still wanted for murder back in Egypt. They've forgotten and they'll have to dig through the legal papers and find the warrant for his arrest. But it's still there. It's on record. so Moses is asking who am I and God begins to give a revelation now of who he is and what God says Moses asks the question who am I God seems to ignore the question and he gives him a different answer altogether but the answer God gives is actually the answer to the question that Moses is asking who am I to do something like that God says, I will be with you. Now, Moses by himself, not going to be very effective at much of anything. But with God, anything's possible. Even deliverance of all these people out of bondage to such a great and powerful country as Egypt. It's a verb. I will be with you. And he says, I'll give you a sign. When you, after you've gotten them out of captivity, you're going to bring them back here and you'll worship me here. That's the sign for you. Well, for Moses, that, that's not too encouraging. That means in order for that sign to be fulfilled, I've got to go. <laughs> I've got to do what he told me to do. Otherwise, the sign won't be there and I'll never know if God's God or not. So Moses says, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, if you know this God so well, what's his name? Moses says, what am I going to tell them? So if someone comes up to you and asks you your name, uh, you're not going to tell them what you do for a living, are you? Not normally, if they're asking who you are. Well, this is what I do. No, I want to know who you are. What is your name? I'm asking for your name. God answers with the very same verb that he used when he said, I will be with you. It's the very same word. I am that I am. I'm the God, or in other words, I'm the God who's with you. That's who I am. And that's how you're going to do what I've asked you to do. Because I'm the God who is with you. It's not a question about who you are. The question is, who, who is God? That's the question you ought to be asking, Moses. Who is God? And our problem today is not self-esteem. We Most of us have way too much of that. Uh, the problem is, we, don't, we have forgotten, or we don't know, have never met, the God of gods and Lord of lords and King of kings. And so in our arrogance, in our pride, in our self-centeredness, we're thinking the whole world revolves around me and everybody's waiting to hear from me and see me and welcome me. And if they're not, something is wrong with them. Because here I am. Don't they know who I am? Well, no. And if we're honest, they don't really care. God's a different story. And so he answers, not with a name, but with a verb. I am the God who is with you. That's who I am. And you tell him that. So, you tell him, the God who is with you has sent me to you. Moses says, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh. And he, what he does is the proper name for God throughout the Old Testament is A name that's derived directly from this verb. I will be whatever you need at the time. I will be that for you. I will be with you. You are not alone. And I am here. And so it's an an incredible thing. I'm the God who is. The proper name of the God of Israel. Now we understand that. We know it with our heads. But we've forgotten. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 we're familiar with this because we've just come through the Christmas season right Isaiah seven fourteen. God has challenged Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah he's got a, a huge army that's coming against him he doesn't have the resources, he doesn't have the military power, he doesn't have the defenses not a country in the world has been able to withstand these people they have slaughtered and run over everybody and they're all coming down towards Jerusalem they've already conquered the rest of the country all their fortified cities have already fallen and there is nothing to keep them from coming into Jerusalem and God sends the prophet Isaiah with his son to meet Ahaz and says this battle is not yours God will take care of this one trust him And he knows that Ahaz is not a man of faith. He doesn't know God. He doesn't trust God. He trusts his army. He trusts the walls. And he knows that's not good enough. And so he is frightened. And when the king is frightened, then the general gets frightened. When the general gets frightened, what are the troops going to do? So it's not a good situation to be in. And so he challenges them. Trust God. Trust God. Stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. And to help you, I will give you a sign, King Ahaz. You ask anything you want in heaven, earth, under the earth. You ask it and I will give it to you so that you'll know I am who I'm telling you I am. And Ahaz got very righteous. Oh no, far be it from me to ask a sign from God. I will not ask. And God lost patience with him. Isaiah says, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. You will give birth to a son and you will call him, what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What does that mean? Okay, it's not a word anymore. Now it's a person. And Immanuel means the God who is there, El, God. With you, God. He said the same thing he told Moses at the burning bush. The God who is with you, Moses, is the God who is coming down in the person of this child. That's why you're going to call him Emmanuel, because he represents God being with you. Not a word anymore, not a book, not a, a phrase that's coming out of someone's mouth. But a person, he personifies, he, this is the incarnation, God in the flesh. Matthew picks this up in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And the prophet says, he quotes this verse, and he says, this Jesus who was born, they will call him this, God in our midst, God with us. Remember what God had said to Moses? I've heard your prayers, I've seen the need and the oppression, and I have come. I am the God who is with you. And so there he is, God with us. In John chapter 8, Jesus made a statement that also almost got him killed immediately the Gospel of John has three of these statements that almost cost him his life uh, prematurely (laughs) this was one of them it's in John chapter 8 and they're talking about Abraham, he's in this debate Um, it's actually an attack a verbal attack at this point between the scribes and the Pharisees because they weren't brave enough yet to send the soldiers with the clubs yet, and when they do they're going to do it at night So they're attacking him publicly and verbally. They're in a a disputation here, a debate about uh, Abraham. And it's all about who their fathers are. And in John chapter 8, read verse 34 through 36. They were saying that uh, Jesus had told them if they, follow, if they hold to his teaching, in other words, if they put it into practice, not just listen to it, not just agree that that's a, a correct thing to say, if they actually do it, put it into practice, live it out, then, he says, you will know the truth and that truth will set you free. Free. We, that's a word that we use a lot these days and we don't understand what it means because the people who are yelling the loudest about freedom are the most (coughs) bound slaves that there are in this earth right now they use the words but they live the slavery and so Jesus says I'm offering you a way to be free really free not bound by addictions, not bound by inner compulsions, not bound by things that we have no control over, that that mold and shape our actions and reactions. Freedom from all of that. Freedom to be who God created you to be in His image. And, of course, the Jews said, we're Abraham's descendants. What else do we need? We've never been the slave of any man. That's a lie. We've been a slave to many, many people. And right then, they were slave. To the Romans in bondage groaning and complaining about the oppression of their captors and they're telling Jesus I don't need you I'm free much like us today much like our country today right and we're bound <coughs> and so Jesus keeps telling them um, about who he is and they begin to, uh, to question him about his parentage and all of that. And then finally, Jesus tells them plainly, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. We miss that, don't we? He's telling us Abraham saw Jesus. Now, later on, he's going to talk, say the same thing about Isaiah. Isaiah, these Old Testament people, they knew who God was because God had revealed himself to them, made himself known to them more than just words in a very personal way. And they, the Pharisees looked at Jesus and they said, you are not 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth before Abraham was born I am and the words that he uses is the same words that God used to Moses at the burning bush I am the God who is with you the God who is here Jesus virtually was saying I am the God that Abraham serves and I am here with you I am the fulfillment of that promise of God that assurance that hope that presence, I am here. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. They knew exactly what he was saying and made him angry. Their response was to kill him. And they're going to keep trying till they succeed. And the good news is, Jesus is who he says he was. And Jesus came back from the dead. So it's more than just a name. It's a promise. It's a presence. Well, that's really good. What has it got to do with us? In Matthew chapter 28, after the resurrection now, I want us to think about what took place with Moses. Moses. first of all, Moses is going about his ordinary everyday task that he'd been doing for 40 years went to work business as usual nothing out of the ordinary just an ordinary plain everyday thing you're going to work and when you get to work God begins to speak to you he wasn't in church he wasn't even in a chapel he wasn't even praying he was just doing his job God ever speak to you at your job? Does He ever speak to you in the grocery store or at the laundry? He will if we let Him. So, first of all, there was a revelation. And that revelation was the initial part of a call and a commission. If God calls us and he does and if we respond and begin to understand who he is that's the first step on a call and a commission because it's more than just for us. It is for us but far beyond that and the commission is to go. Then comes the promise of his presence because he says you'll never go alone. Christ is always with us. And then he tells Moses his name. He puts his seal of ownership. Moses, you're not going in your own strength or in your own name. Because if you go to Pharaoh and says, I'm Moses, let my people go. He's going to ask the same question that you asked. Who are you? (laughs) So Moses goes and he says, the Lord God who created the universe says, let these people go. Now that's a different deal altogether. So God puts his ownership on us, his protection, his authority, and that leads to a personal relationship. Now you're on a understanding the name of God, which means it's beginning to be a revelation of his nature, his character, who he is. And it's only when we begin to understand who God is that we begin to understand who we are. Because we were created by him and for him and through him. And we are to be created in his image and likeness. And if we don't know who he is, then we don't know who we are. And the world claims to be able to tell us and they can't. Because the world is full of liars. And deceivers. And people who will manipulate you. To get you to do what they want you to do. And then they will throw you away like yesterday's garbage. Because they don't care about you. They care about themselves. They care about themselves as much or more than you care about yourself. And that's a lot. God wants to make us who He created us to be. He created us to be men and women... Who bear the image and likeness of God. Anything else is second best. Less than what we were created to be. And so, all the things that we look for in life, we treat them as commodities, things to be possessed and to have, and they aren't. And you'll never get them that way. You can never work hard enough to get peace in your heart. (laughs) It's not going to happen there isn't anybody who you like love, respect, whatever that can give that to you not a one and if you look to them to do that for you you're going to be disappointed because they can't give what they don't have God is the one who has that and he gives it because he gives us himself if you have Christ then you know about peace if you don't then you'll never know If you have Christ, you'll know what love is. And if you don't have him in your heart, you will never, ever know genuine love from any person that's ever lived. They cannot give it to you. So it's not a commodity. It's a relationship. And if we don't have that relationship, then we miss out. So... Jesus is now risen from the dead he's talking to the 11 disciples that are left and um, I love the honesty of the scripture it's not a deceit Um, I love this in chapter 28 verse 16 then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go when they saw him, now they're seeing him, Jesus risen from the dead. They're looking at him. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. <laughs> what do you want? You see this man crucified, brutally mutilated, and dying a horrible, painful, public, humiliating death on the cross. You stick him in the ground. And three days later, he comes out, he's alive, and the grave is empty, and he's standing there. And he'd already been in their presence, and he said, there it is, put your hand here and touch it, if that's what it takes. Here I am. I'm not some ghost, not some phantom, I'm here. And I have the keys of death and hell, and I have the power of life. And so they're standing there on this mountain, Overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. And there Jesus standing in front of them. And they're worshiping and singing the praise songs. And some are doubting. I'm not so sure about this. You think Moses had doubts at the burning bush? Yeah, he had a whole bunch of them. He had a whole list of them. And he gave them out. <laughs> and God met every one of them. So here the disciples are and Jesus says to them all, <clears throat> all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because he's God. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, just like Moses, you go. Hmm. And they're to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're to teach them to obey everything God has commanded. And surely I am with you. What did God say to Moses? I am with you. What's my name? Emmanuel, the God who is with us. I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here Jesus is talking to the disciples first to the revelation that he's risen again from the dead the call and the commission the promise of his presence never go alone Christ is always with us he puts his name on them which leads to personal relationship and that's the God that we serve he calls us he reveals to us who he is and when we know who he is it contains a call and a commission to go But with that commission comes the promise. Yahweh. I will be with you. I am the God who is. I'm the God who will be whatever you need to be. To live a full life here. To the glory of God. Without regrets. Without regrets. Without guilt. Without shame. A life that's free. And that's what he offers to us. So what God did with Moses at the burning bush, he wants to do for you and for me. Jesus died to make that possible. For you and me, the cross of Christ is our burning bush. That's what it is. The cross of Christ is your burning bush and mine. And God is calling us by name from that cross and inviting us to know him, And to enter into life. And to know who He is. And to experience what it means to be called by God to know who God is and know that God is with you wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And the circumstances, the situations, um, they may not change. Life is hard. We live in a sinful, fallen world. And it's filled with sinful, fallen people just like us. And so, the difference is the presence of the living God who enables us to do and be everything He's called us to do and be. And what has He called us to do and be? You're created in the image and likeness of God. So we should walk forth and show that to the rest of the world. This is the God who is with us. Let's pray. So Lord... With the Apostle John, we bow at your feet and say, Behold, what kind of love the Father has demonstrated, poured out upon us, that we might be called the children of God. Yet, that is what we are, because of what you've done for us. Lord, all we can say is thank you. Praise your name. Glory and honor to you, because you've done what we could not ever do for ourselves, and no one in this world, no power on this earth could do. And you've come to us freely in our rebellion, in our sin, in our shame, in our guilt, in our self centeredness. And you've come to set us free that we might know what life itself is all about. Draw us, we pray, and receive that worship that belongs to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So God is the one who reveals himself to people. And the thing about God's revelation and the good news of the scripture is that God's love for you and for me is unconditional. Uh, We know it's unconditional because of the unconditional love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. And so it says that in John 13, Jesus knowing who he was and that the time had come. And knowing that he had come from God and was returning to God. What does he do with that knowledge that he is God in the flesh? All authority and all power on the whole face of the earth. What would you do if you had the power to do anything, anything you wanted? And to provide anything, you could have all the stuff, all the fame, anything you wanted. People to like you, you could make them like you. Snap your fingers. You're their favorite person forever. What would you do with that kind of authority and power? Jesus showed us what that kind of authority and power is given to people for. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around him, got down in the dirt... And washed the dirty feet of these men who were going to betray him. He washed the feet of the disciple, the apostle, Judas Iscariot, who he knows was within just, a, just an hour or two, was going to betray him to a, a very painful death. How do, you, how do you respond to that? Jesus washed his feet. When they sat at the, at the table, uh, Jesus broke the bread, dipped it in the sauce. Handed it to Judas Iscariot. To Judas. And Judas got up from that table with clean feet and a full stomach. And he went out to betray the Lord who had washed his feet and provided for his food. That's what authority is for. And if it's used in any other way, it's an abuse. It's a misuse. If you as an individual, with all of your dignity of who I am and all I want, if I'm too good to do that... Then that means I'm better than God. So I was talking with a young man one day, and he found out that we had been missionaries in Africa, and he was telling me, Tell me some of the miracles, the great stories, you know, fighting with the demons and all that kind of stuff. And he said, That's the kind of Jesus I serve. What kind of Jesus do you serve? And I said, Me? And he said, Yeah. And I said, Well, the Jesus I serve washes feet. And all of a sudden he didn't want to talk to me anymore. He wanted to go search for some stories. He didn't like the story I told him. (laughs) So what are we looking for this morning? That's what Jesus has done for us. It's an unconditional love. Now the thing about unconditional love is it demands a response. It's not saying you, you owe it and you have to pay. It just says, this is what I've done for you. How, you. You have to respond. Now you can walk away and ignore that. That is a response. You can say, I don't want to think about it. Okay, that's a response, isn't it? I don't want to know. I want to close my ears and hide my eyes and go over here where I can do what I want to do and leave me alone. That's a response. Or we can do what the, what the Pharisees did. I want to kill you. Get away from me. Don't come near me. Or we can fall at his feet and worship him. And that's about the only responses we have. All of us give a response of some kind to unconditional love. What is the response that should be given? Our, Our unconditional love. That's what he's looking for in a response from you and from me. God has taken the first step while we were still sinners, while we were alienated enemies of God in our own minds, in our own actions, and God says, I'm dying on the cross for you. What is your response? And I love that verse in Lamentations, the first chapter. It's talking about the destruction, Jeremiah pouring out his grief before God as the... the uh, The temple's been defiled. They're leveling it to the ground. Jerusalem is a smoke and a stench of all the death and the destruction. The fires are burning. The smoke is there. The stench is there. And Jeremiah, speaking for Jerusalem, says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Has there ever been any sorrow like the sorrow that I have on this day? And on the cross, that's the question Jesus asks for you and for me. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. He took this bread, knowing that it represented his broken body. He received that as grace and gave it to his disciples. This is my body, it's broken, but it's broken for you, for me after supper he took the cup and after he had given thanks he gave it to his disciples saying each of you drink from this cup this cup is a new covenant in my blood it's shed for you it's for the forgiveness of sins your sins my sins the sins of people who have sinned against us it's for their forgiveness as much as it is for ours and he invites us to come and be free To take from him his life, which he has given to us freely, and be free. So, will those who are serving communion uh, please come forward?